Let me ask you a question. Would you like the convenience of joining a live group cycling class in your home whenever you want? I can do that for you in a Peloton. Peloton is a game-changing indoor cycling bike that brings the energy of live studio classes right to your home anytime you want. There is no concern about fitting classes into a busy schedule or making it out to a studio or a gym with some crazy commute. It is always the perfect time for Peloton. You can do it whenever you want in your own home. This is exactly what I do. I bought it. I love it. I use it. Ride live against thousands of other Peloton riders across the country on the interactive leaderboard to keep you motivated. Up to 14 new classes are added every single day, and they've got a growing library of more than 8,000 on demand. I do both. I ride live when I can, but when it doesn't match up with my schedule, I ride one of the rides on demand. I love them both. So this holiday, bring home the perfect gift for them and for you. Peloton is offering listeners a limited time offer. Go to OnePeloton.com, enter the code Rome at checkout, and get $100 off accessories with your Peloton bike purchase. Get a great workout at home anytime you want. Simply go to OnePeloton.com and use the code name Rome. This is how I got my bike. Go to OnePeloton.com. My father said, let me tell you something. Don't you ever let him, nobody, no bigger, nobody bigger than you go get advantage of you by grabbing you. Keep sticking and moving or pick up something and hit him with it and, hit him and, and make him understand that you ain't going to play fair. You're always going to play dirty. My father said I should have scratched him in the eyes. I should have did everything. And then from then on, I'll never let a big person ever grab me again. Welcome to the Jim Rome Podcast. The original side hustle is back. And let me be straight. This pod is better than ever. This is episode 58, and it is absolute fire because my guest is Gary Payton. The glove needs no introduction, but I'm going to give you one anyway. He's a Hall of Famer, an NBA champion, a nine-time All-Star, a Defensive Player of the Year, a nine-time All-NBAer, a nine-time All-Defensive Selection, and a two-time Olympic gold medalist. He is a Seattle legend. He is an Oakland legend, not to mention one of the all-time great shit talkers, not only in the history of sports, but I'm going to say in the history of the world. If it sounds like I'm fired up to drop this ep, it is because I am. Let's get it. Time to pot up. Gary, it's been a minute or so. It is so good to have you on this podcast, and you need a little bit of room to move now. This is not, I could never do a, a conversation like this justice on our daily radio program. Great to have you, Gary. How are things? Good. It's been good, Jim. It's been a long time, man. How have you been? Man, I'm great. I'm great just doing what I'm doing here, but it only works if I've got the right people to talk to, so I'm not going to waste your time. Let's just get right at this. Gary, if you go back to the very beginning, for those who do not know the area, what was it like to grow up in East Oakland, California, and what were those games like on the playgrounds when you were coming up? Well, Jim, you know, I grew up in in, in Oakland um, all my life. Uh, the 80s was, was kind of rough. You know, that's when all the the dope was coming out, the the, the, the crack was coming out, and, and Oakland was a, was, a, was a rough city. And my father was my mentor, and he was my hero. Uh, he took me out and, and, and told me that I have to go on the streets and the playgrounds and, and, and make something out of myself and, and, and compete against a lot, of, a lot of basketball players, and that's what I did. I went to different neighborhoods and played on their playgrounds and and became became a, pro, a, a Gary Payton. You know, I just became that guy. I came rough and tough. You know, I go into other people's backyards and beat them and talk 
talk a lot of trash and get out of there, you know, uh, scrapping my way out of there. So it was really rough during that time, but it made help me in the in the NBA because that swagger came with the NBA and made me tough and not back down on no one. And then I became better and better and better as the years came uh, went went on, and and that's what I credit myself to of being a, a hard street court guy that's learning how to play on the playgrounds and play against tough competition. Gary, I'm so glad you mentioned your dad. Your dad was nicknamed Mr. Mean. He had it right there on his license plate. Like, give me an idea. How mean, how tough was your dad? Well, you know what? My father never gave us no, nobody credit. He, he raised everybody in our neighborhood, and he never smiled. Um, I used to go to work with him when he was uh, running a restaurant, and, and people used to always try to uh, get up on him and do things. And he, you know, he would knock them out, you know, and I, I learned that from him, man. You know, just not knocking down, not taking nothing back. And people were very scared of my father. He used to carry a little twenty two pistol in his boot everywhere he went. So I, I grew up on some stuff where it was real, real tough. No backing down, no talking, just, just, just reacting. So, Gary, when you're running in those local runs on the playgrounds and your dad's out there and your dad also, before there was an AAU club, he had a local team that he coached. When you were out there, I mean, you, you were fierce and you were getting up into guys. I would imagine not everybody on the street liked that very much. If guys, did they ever kind of plot to try to get at you? And if Mr. Mean was there, how did he handle that? Well, they always plotted to try to get at me because I always was talking. And I used to always have to have my father and my brother there a, a lot because everybody was always plotting to get me after the games. But it didn't. It didn't stop what I was doing because that's what my father. That's what my father uh, installed in me. But when my father and my brother was there, you know, after the games we would fight. We would fight. You know, a lot of people would fight. A lot of people were scared of my father. That was before you know we had all these guns that was coming out and people were shooting. You could knuckle up and fight in the streets during that time, and it wasn't going to the gun shooting and stuff like that like it is now. And my father used to, you know, you know, we had we had battles we had wars you know uh, one day, one time um they locked the doors on us and we went back to back and my father and my brother was was trying to knock out everybody and uh, we got banned fans for after that for coming to our game so my father used to handle it in that way he said don't talk let's just get it done let's make these guys understand that we we are no joke neither you know gary something else about that town about that neighborhood you were talking about how in Oakland, there were big dudes and there were street dudes. What is the difference then between big dudes and street dudes? Well, the street dudes is, you know, the street dudes is a little bit different. You know, you got a lot of guys around who are selling dope, doing things that can get at you all the time and do a lot of things to you. <laughs> big guys, you know, you, you're not really, really scared of them. They're not as, as, as fearful as these other guys. That's got a lot of things going on. If you got one of the street guys who's got 100 people that's backing him, and you got to go somewhere every day, and then one of them guys see you, and they always somewhere where you at. You don't know what's going to happen. A big guy, you know, you can fight him, and he's going to come back and fight you again, and we won't have trouble. You know, we might see him again probably somewhere in a, in a, in a store and stuff, and it'd probably be a beef, but it wouldn't be a beef like it would be if we was if we're going to get some street guys. All right, so when you got to the NBA, were there legitimate street dudes there or just big guys? It was just big guys. The NBA wasn't street guys. I mean, you had a few. I mean, we can always go against uh, Charles Oakley, who was a street guy who would probably get at you a, a lot. Uh, I said Derek Coleman was one of them guys that was a street guy that, you know, he would bag a lot of stuff up and fight. 
you know, we didn't have a lot of guys who were street guys. They might have said they were from the streets, but it wasn't like with me, myself, and, and the other two I just mentioned, we'll probably go into a nightclub after we after the game and see them and then want to do something else. A lot of guys wasn't like that during the time of my era. You know, we would just we would probably just hey, say forget it on the basketball court, but us three probably would want to take it to another level and take it off, especially when I had a lot of guys around me that I had brought from my neighborhood with me that was hanging out with me that was down to do whatever. So, you know, it was just a little different during that time, and we didn't really have a lot of street guys. Gary, you know what? I think you're right. I think that it was different during that time, but something's never changed. I think probably dudes don't want to mess too much with you. I know nobody wants to mess with Oak, not even today. And then D.C., D.C. is something else. Like, he may have been a street guy, but Gary, his upside, man, like when D.C. was right, in terms of just like pure basketball ability, my man, I mean, he was amazing. You might feel differently, but should he, could he have gone down as one of the greatest ever just in terms of pure ability and what he brought to it? Yes, he could have. You know, they, you know, D.C. was the number one pick, and I was the number two pick in the same 1990 draft. I think if D.C. would have did a lot of things different, and we talked about that a lot. I see D.C. a lot, and I'm going to see him in two weeks. And, and we talked about it a lot, and I told D.C. if, you know, a lot, if he would have did a lot of stuff different and just played it, and, you know, we, we always talk about what if he would have been on this team or been on that team. But I still think D.C. could have been one of the greatest basketball players to ever play the game because of his ability and, and of the big man to do the things he did, you know, especially with him coming out of uh, Syracuse and all that stuff and doing the things that he did. That was, that was one of the things that I, I thought that D.C. could have been really, really great at. Let me talk to you for a minute about some brand-new sheets that I've discovered, brooklinen.com. Brooklinen Sheets were named the winner of the best of online betting category by Good Housekeeping, and they have received rave reviews from Business Insider. Brooklyn was founded in early 2014 by a husband and wife team, and their mission was to bring five-star hotel quality sheets to everyday life. Luxury sheets without the luxury markup. And their method is you take out the middleman and you keep it personal just between them and the customer, from design to manufacturing to customer service and beyond. My Brooklyn and Sheets are incredible. Brooklinen.com is giving an exclusive offer for you listeners. Get $20 off and free shipping when you use the promo code ROAM at brooklinen.com. Brooklinen is so sure you'll love your sheets, they're offering a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use my promo code Rome at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N, brooklinen.com, promo code Rome. Brooklinen, these are the best sheets ever. The best ever. So, Gary, you come out of Oregon State, and you were second overall, as you mentioned, and you get to Seattle, and, man, you've got all the confidence in the world. You've got a ton of swagger, and you never, ever back down from anybody or anything. But then you end up on a team that's got some great old-school vets, guys like Nate McMillan, Xavier McDaniel, Eddie Johnson. Had they ever been around a young dude as brash as you? Like, what did they make of you when you showed up? Well, Xavier was my my vet, so he really was like, you know, he comes – you know, he's in the Wichita. He's over there in that in that area. You know, he's a country boy. So he really groomed me into being who I was, really tough, too. You know what I'm saying? Because he was a tough-minded guy. I don't think uh, Eddie Johnson was had anything like me before. He had never been around nothing like me as a young kid. 
Uh, we're very brash and stuff. Nate McMillan is my big brother who this went on, uh, got, just gave me his job without me even working for it, and then he, he guided me into it, and I became really close. But that's the one thing, Jim, that really made me stand uh, um, stand up and become a man and become a great basketball player because I had so many veterans on my team that taught me. See, nowadays you don't have a lot of veterans that are in the league for six and seven years who can teach a basketball player coming in a, a number two pick or number one pick or number three pick and teach them when they're struggling, and they need that. And that's what I thought that I had on my Seattle team. I had seven or eight of these guys who had been in the league already seven, six or seven years when I got in the league, and that was a big help for me and Sean Kemp and Dana Barrows because we learned and learned, and we had people like Eddie Johnson, Ricky Pierce, all of them guys, and uh, Xavier McDaniel, uh, 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 McKee, uh, Derek McKee that can teach us that, and that's what was the big thing. That was the big positive thing for us. Yeah, right. So from that standpoint, you were really fortunate to end up on a team with so many vets that could kind of school you up. But Gary, still, that doesn't mean that you didn't knock heads with the X Man initially. Now you were his rookie, so you were expected to do all his shit. One day you finally had enough. What did you tell him? Well, you know what? Uh, one day it was just one day at practice and. It was Dale Ellis, and it was a lot of them. And, and then, you know, I, I was having a bad, bad practice. I was even really having a bad year. And then it was practice, and then everybody started picking on me. And, you know, Coach Casey Jones wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't say nothing for me. And I just said, forget it, you know what I'm saying? I just said, look, fuck it. You know, we're going to fight today. You know what I'm saying? I don't give a fuck about neither one of you guys or nothing. Let's fight. So, you know, when we, we, we started knuckling up, he grabbed me and, 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 and started choking me. It almost choked, choked me unconscious. But then I told him. I said, once he let me go, and he's like, young boy, you're going you gonna to learn how to respect. I said, no, I'm going to learn how to respect, but I'm going to get your respect too because I ain't going to back down every day because you have to come in here and you're going to get something every day from me. And that's what I think he really, really uh, started respecting me and then gave me a, 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 a big ups in respect after that when I, when I stood up to him. You stood up to him, Gary, but he nearly choked you out, right? He dropped that sleeper hold on you. Yeah. You know, I didn't never, never get that, you know, that WWF stuff. So I didn't know <laughs> what was going on. So as soon as the big man caught it, and then I started, I called my father and I told him. And my father said, let me tell you something. Don't you ever let him, nobody, no bigger, nobody bigger than you get advantage of you by grabbing you. Keep sticking and moving or pick up something and hit him with it and, hit him, and, and make him understand that you ain't going to play play uh, fair. You're always going to play dirty. He's, my father said I should have scratched him in the eyes. I should have did everything. And then from then on, I'll never let a big person ever grab me again. Oh, man, that's so great. That's so great. So your dad, he passed away a few years ago. Man, you got to miss him, right? You miss Pops? Yeah. Well, I miss him a lot. You know, I, I was just thinking about it the other day and um, just so happened, unfortunately, one of my best friends' fathers died yesterday. Hmm. And we were on the phone last night last night as he died and we were talking about the same thing you know and he was like man i know what you go what you went through and that's why i had to call you and um and talk to you and i said yeah i mean it might hurt it's gonna hurt it's gonna hurt it's not sinking in right now but as a year as it go on you're gonna miss the things that he's gonna say to you he's gonna miss a lot of things that he do and my father's been dead for three years and and I miss a lot that I go over to his house and I talk to him and I talk to him a lot about a lot of different things in my life. 
and he used to give me a lot of a lot of encouragement and give me the courage to to deal with a lot of stuff. But now I'm that one who I've got to do it for my kids. So my guy called me yesterday, and his father passed. And I said, "We're gonna you're gonna get through it, man, because I'm here for you too." You know, and, and and you know I went through the same thing, but we're gonna get through it. You know, and we're just gonna have to remember them on and, and 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 think about what they would say to us now if they were here. And you know, it's hard for me every year for me missing my father like that. And Gary, I think you're right. I lost my father a number of years back, and it's not you don't really ever get over it, but you get through it. You just get right. through it. Hey, now let me talk to you about one of my favorite brands. Dickies, the number one brand in performance workwear, knows that work is so much more than what you just do. It's also who you are. And just like professional athletes, your work is judged by how you perform on the job. Look good, feel good, feel good, work good. That's why Dickies Flex work pants and shirts are guaranteed to give you superior mobility, advanced protection, and enhanced durability. And Dickies Flex is backed with Dickies Unconditional Satisfaction Guarantee, so you know that the Flex Series is made to work as hard as you do. Dickies Flex, engineered to move, engineered to last. Learn more at dickies.com. Be sure to go to Dickies. Dot com. So, you know, you talk about talking junk and, and talking, being a part of your game. The thing is, though, there was a purpose to it. I mean, you were really good at it, probably enjoyed it. But the fact is, there was a purpose to it. How could you weaponize it and make it a part of your game? What did you do with that? Well, you know what I did, with, with Jim, was that I always came in every game thinking that if I can get the other guy to pay attention to me and make him more focused on me, and not on his teammates and get away and make the battle between me and not our team, I can get him. And I knew that I had a lot of skills that it's going to take a lot for a guy to get at me because I can go at him on the defensive end and I can go at him on the offensive end because I ran my team. You know, I ran all the plays. I, I control everything. And that's what George Carl gave me a big weapon to do. And when I did that and I get at him and I still steal the ball and I do a lot of other things, and I score a lot of points, and I'm talking. They get out of their game, and then all of a sudden they get a couple of fouls, and then they get on the bench, and then I go over there and start talking to them. And then I say, see, that's what you get. You can't do the same thing. I'm the big dog around here. You know what I'm saying? You can't walk in and talk it like I can. And so it was always a weapon for me to go at somebody and get them. And then a lot of the guy coaches start telling them, don't pay attention, don't talk to me, stay in your game because you're not going to work with Gary. And that was my weapon, to just get, a, get at them in the beginning and just work on them all game. And I knew I could get them because they always have eagles. You know, Gary, it was so interesting to hear you talk about your veteran teammates and how they responded to you. And then when you got in the league again, I mean, you were ready. You were ready to take on everybody. But you remember how it is. When you first came in, everybody was going to measure, you know, the next big thing, the second pick overall, a point guard. So there were some incredible battles with Michael Jordan, especially early on. In fact, starting a rookie year, the Sonics played the Bulls in a preseason game that year. Mike didn't play that much in that preseason game because he was Mike. What happened in that game? Well, you know, I had held out a lot. I had held out almost all, all of training camp. I came in like two days before training camp was over, and we had to play Michael Nim two days later, three days later, or something like that. And I'm thinking I'm that guy, you know, coming out of college, the number two pick. But I forgot, you know, Michael Jordan was, was seasoned during that time. And, you know, I, I didn't know that during preseason, a lot of the veterans don't play. 
You know, they only play about four or five or, you know, uh, one quarter, and then they sit down. And I was just getting out. I was trying to get my feet under my uh, – getting, getting my feet wet. I was trying to uh, uh, get accustomed to the, to the NBA, and, and I was going hard. And he didn't play that much, and I was talking a lot of trash, and I had like 21 points or something. And then what the unfortunate thing was that we had to play him in the first game of the, pre, of the, of the regular season in Seattle. As soon as I stepped on the floor, he he went over to everybody, Scottie Pippen. He went over to B.J. Armstrong. He went over to all of them. He said, nobody guards a rookie. He's all mine. Anytime he's in the game and I'm in the game, I guard him. And before you know it, I had three fouls. I sat out on the bench. I played almost all, only like six or seven minutes. He had like 35 points. And he come over to me and he's like, welcome to the NBA, young fella. Before you open up your mouth, you better understand what you got to do first. And that was a lesson that I was learned. I learned in the beginning, and that's where I got back going at rookies because I know rookies come in here and do the same thing, and I went at a rookie, and that's the way I started going at rookies all the time. Hey, Gary, did he not say to either Scotty or B.J. Armstrong or anybody who could hear it at the start of the game, quote, leave the fucking rookie to me? That's what he said. Exactly what he said, and that's what that's what got it. And I looked, and I was like, "Oh, what did I do?" And I, I said, "I didn't open open up a can of a whoop ass," and and that's what he did. Gary, how many did you finish with that night? If he had thirty plus, how many did you finish with? I finished with zero. Oh, <laughs> Mike, that's Mike. Listen, so you know, back to trash talking, Gary. This is an amazing story, and and I want to believe it's true. And maybe you could let us know if it is. I want to believe it. But back in the postseason in '95, Mike trash talked Muggsy Bogues so badly that it wrecked his shot permanently. Like the story goes, Mike was guarding him. He stepped back and he said, "Quote, shoot it, you fucking midget." And Muggsy missed. And the story goes, he got so rattled that he never recovered. He never found his shot. Is that true? Well, I don't know. I haven't. I haven't asked him. And I'm gonna ask Muggsy about that too, because I see him a lot. But if Muggsy let Jordan do him like that, then I'm gonna tell Muggsy, man, I don't know what was wrong, but he was supposed to come back at him. So I'm gonna figure it out. I don't know if it's true yet. Is that crazy? Shoot it, you fucking midget. That's a, that sounds like <laughs> something Mike would say, though. Jim, Mike and Mike and uh, Larry Bird was one of the undercover, most shit talking basketball players in the NBA. And that's what they used to do. Um, Larry Bird used to tell you where he's going to shoot it in your face and give it to you for Christmas, and you better take that <laughs> shit and stuff like that. He used to do all that type of stuff. Though I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm going to downgrade that one. If he said shoot it, fucking midget, I think he said it. What about Bird? Like when you first saw Gary, when you first saw Larry Bird, were you like, damn? This boy can ball, or we like? Hey, I don't know, man. This guy can't be that good. Like, what were your first impressions of Bird? Well, you know what? When I watched all the the '80s and when the, when the, when the Boston was going to the Lakers, I knew he had a lot of game in him. I knew that team was a very very rough team. And when I caught him, they were coming at the tail end. But I only got to play against him for for three years, and he was hurt a lot. But when he did play, and I seen the things that he can do. I wasn't surprised because I had watched him all my all my you know my junior high my high school days and then in my college days I watched Larry Bird and I said this 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 dude is is for real and then when I got to when Brian Shaw who is a brother to me and grew up in Oakland went to play with him and Brian used to call me and tell me and tell me in the summers of how how good this guy was I wasn't I wasn't surprised 
Pardon that he did. No matter how big or small your team is, Ferguson has a winning game plan for pro contractors with thousands of plumbing repair parts, knowledgeable associates, and the largest national footprint in the game. When the pressure is on, you can count on Ferguson. Gary, I got to tell you something. You and I, you know, we're having a great conversation, and I don't want to let you go just yet, but I'm so glad. I'm so glad you brought up B. Shaw because I wanted to bring it up, and I thought that you'd respond like that. But the reason I bring him up, I went to UC Santa Barbara, and at Santa Barbara, when Brian Shaw transferred there, man, we had nothing. We were a nothing basketball program, and B. Shaw showed up on campus, and he just galvanized this whole thing. I mean, we never had any prayer of getting a ball player that good. What was he like as a player, and how in the world were there so many amazing players that came out of Oakland? Well, Brian was really, really good. When we were growing up, Brian was always the bigger guy. When he went to Bishop O'Dowell in Oakland, California, uh, the Catholic school, he was always that guy that can do triple-doubles. He used to always have like 12 points, 13 assists, 14 rebounds, and he was one of them guys that was just one of them sneaky players that will do everything. And I used to watch him a lot, and we grew up together. We played against each other and stuff like that. He was like like two years older than me. And I always was saying, you know, I got to be almost like Brian as a versatile player to go both ends of the floor because he played defense too. So it was one of them things where I looked at him a lot, and I said, okay, I'm going to get like that. And then when he was 6'6 and I was 6'4", I said, we're about the same height. I'm just going to try to do the same thing. And, you know, people coming out of Oakland, California, Jim, we was raised on the playgrounds where we had to fight for everything we needed. And during them times in the 80s and stuff, wasn't too many people coming into Oakland, California, recruiting people. They weren't recruiting guys like that. So we had to make our name known. You know, we had to get in our little uh, our state tournament and try to get to the L.A. guys because – all the Crenshaw teams and everybody were dominating over there. The Saint the Nation, uh, you know, everybody was dominating in L.A., so we had to get to their championships so colleges could see us. And, you know, we started doing it, and we started getting better and better. And then, you know, the Jason Kids, the J.R. Riders came out here. We got the kid, Damon Lillard now. We are just start getting basketball players, you know, that was coming out of this, out of this era and we just started playing basketball, you know, and, and, and we made it special because we made it a point to make everybody understand we tough and we're not going to back down to nobody, and that's what a lot of us do. God, I love hearing you tell that story also about Brian Shaw and the way you kind of admired him because the thing, Gary, is he, he was kind of sneaky and – you know, he was fucking smart as what he was, man. He was a really, really heady ball player, and he did play defense, but but he didn't play defense the way you played defense. But then again, nobody did. He had one of the great nicknames ever in the glove. I mean, Gary, to be, to be the kind of defensive player you were, most dudes do not want to work that hard. They don't want to commit to it, but you did. Where did that come from, and how did that start? Well, you know where it started from. It started from Oregon State when I went to go play for Ralph Miller. Yeah, He was known as the defensive coach. You know, I knew what I was getting into going there. I was coming out of high school scoring, averaging almost 27 points a game. And when I was coming out of high school, I went to a college where we didn't start off with the basketball for a week. We didn't play with a basketball and, and, and practice. And I really didn't know that. You know what I'm saying? So when I went there, all we did was defensive slides. We did a lot of hand drills. We did a lot of we were grabbing the balls, making sure we catch the balls. We had to stay down. We had to get in shape. We ran before 
before uh, season started. We, we had programs like that where we were going to get in shape because we pressed a lot. And when we pressed a lot, we had to play defense. If we get beat, we're coming out. So as soon as I get to practice and I start getting my hands on a lot of balls, I was moving my feet, I was, I was turning people, I was getting in front, taking charges. And he came over to me and he said, young kid, I didn't know you was this good. He said, but you got great hands and feet. If you listen to me, I'll make you one of the greatest defensive players to ever play this game. And I told him, okay. And once he did that, I started starting for him, which I was the first freshman to start for him and play every game and and, and start every game for him. And that was just an accomplishment for me when they told me that. And he the one installed that in me. We pressed, we pressed, we pressed, we pressed. And then I just got really, really good at it, and then I started enjoying it because I started hearing guys call me and talk about, man, you shut down this dude, you shut down that guy, you had 30 and he only had 12 and 10. Man, you the man. And I just like doing I started love doing that because I started understanding that I'm making a difference in the game when I'm shutting down the best basketball player. And the best basketball player can't shut me down. See, that's the thing. I mean, that's Mike had that too, right? Like, you'd look at the guy and say, give me the best guy. Give me the best guy. I'll be on him all night long. And I think, Gary, I hope people listening remember. I do. Like, when I came up as a young reporter, one of the first guys, and I can't remember how I got to this, but I talked to Ralph Miller. Man, I was afraid. I'm like, I do not want to get on the wrong side of this dude. This dude, he was a tough old dude, Ralph Miller, and a great coach. Yes, he was. He was He was one of the, the meanest dudes. But the yeah. reason I loved him so much because he reminded me of my father. They're both the same, and when they met each other, they used to call each other about me. Ralph used to tell me, you know, I'm going to call your father. Next thing you know, if I got into some trouble, I got in trouble about one or two times out there, and my father was in the office the next day. He came down here the next day. So Ralph was one of the guys where he didn't take no smack. He used to wear the dark glasses, smoke the lungs, more cigarettes, and just sit there and don't say nothing, you know. And when he said something, everybody listened. And that was just one of the things that I liked about him because he reminded me so much of my father. So, Gary, when you first came up, I mean, you had some vets on that Seattle team, and you talked about how important it was to have that veteran presence. But when you're a young dude coming up, and you're with your guy, Sean Kemp, and you guys, you came into such a great situation. So, you're drafted high, you're feeling great about your game, you're making some money, you got a little extra time, you're killing it on the floor. It's easy to get caught up, right? So how hard did you guys run off the floor in the early years? Well, you know what? That was, that was a good question. We were young, and we ran hard. You know what I'm saying? As long as we, 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 we got back to practice and wasn't drunk or nothing like that, we were fine. You know, we always, me and Sean were so inseparable. We were together so much that we were out so much that I always told him, I said, man, if we're going to do this, we got to be ready for the next day because we're going to get we're going to get really really uh, uh scrutinized for this if we don't be ready to play. And he always would say, "Yo, we got it. Let's just do it." But we had a mentality we had a mentality that if we did go out and we were ready, we'd get into the gym 2 to 3 hours earlier before practice so that we can run it out, we can sweat it out and we'd be ready to play basketball. And that's why our coaches liked us so much because we was always ready, and that's why they didn't worry about us going out, because we went out and we made it responsible for the next day to come back and perform the way we're supposed to perform. 
So, Gary, Sean, for those who don't know or who are too young to remember, man, my man, he was unbelievable. When he was young and he was right and he was in his prime, what was his game like and what was he like to run with? Oh, he was amazing. Uh, you know, the year before I got there in 89 when he did the dunk in New York uh, on Skywalker when he dunked it backwards, everybody just seen a young phenom, phenom kid that was young coming almost out of high school. You remember he was supposed to go to Kentucky, and then he went to Trinity Junior College, didn't make it there, and then he got drafted. That was a pick that the, the Seattle, you know, that was a lucky pick, and they got him. And when he was young and he was in his prime, he can do anything he wanted. He was, he, you know, LeBron used to do all that stuff. He doing all that stuff, and being that guy, Sean Kemp was that guy at that position, at that power forward that can do that run, shoot the basketball, dunk on you, uh, you know, the mid-range, put his back to you, and face up, go, and 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 block shots. And I used to just sit there, and when I threw the ball up to him, and the things that he did when I got him the ball, that amazed me. And then he walk around bouncing his hand and doing all the antics. I said, this this is a freak of nature, and that's what he was. That's exactly what he was. You know, Gary, before I let you go, I was talking to you up on my radio program because I was really hyped up to talk to you, and I started to get emails. I want to read you this email. It says, hey, Jim, I'm so excited to hear the podcast with Gary Payton when I get home from work tonight. Since my Sonics got thieved and sold through nefarious means to some podunk city in the hat of Texas, I have not watched a single basketball game on any level out of protest. Could you at some point mention to Mr. Payton that Sonics Nation is not dead, just dormant? We still love him. Mike in Ferndale, angry. 10 years later, and screw OKC. You know, that's not the only email, Gary, that I received like that, just mentioning that I was going to talk to you. I, I kind of wonder, I mean, you had decades of basketball in Seattle, a world championship in Seattle. You helped put them on the map. When you watch OKC, what do you think? You know, I really don't think anything. It's a team that just, they stole our team and they're in Oklahoma City. I never played there, so I'm not really worried about it. That's their city now. That's their team. We did a bad job of letting the team go by. The, the the owner that had our team during that time did a bad job. And then our, the mayor that in Seattle did a bad job. I keep telling people in Seattle, it's not the fans' fault. The fans are going to get – they're going to get rewarded with another team. We have a great commissioner in Adam Silver right now that I think is going to make that happen. We're going to get a team back. We, 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 we're, we're building towards that now. We're building a new arena now. We got a hockey team in 2020. That's going to build it up for it. And everybody knows that Seattle deserves a basketball team, and that's what they that's what they're going to get. And I think it's just going to take some more years, but it's going to be there. And I'm going to be right there with them when it comes. And I don't look at no team. That's Oklahoma City. That's why they went there. They didn't become the Oklahoma Sonics. They became the Oklahoma Thunder. That's why they changed colors because they knew it wasn't going to stay because we got an agreement that all our stuff comes back to us if we get a team. So we're fine. And I, I just say, you know, it's unfortunate for us, but I'm still in hope, and I, and I know Seattle's going to get a basketball team. Well, you're a Hall of Famer, and your jersey was retired, but there was no way you were not. I can't imagine that was a, a very difficult choice. You were not going to let them hang your gear in that building, were you? No, I, I just can't, Jim. I didn't play in front of Oklahoma. It's nothing against Oklahoma City. I didn't play against them. If I do that, that means I'm just disrespecting the Seattle fans. I'm, I'm taking something away from them to who made me who I was. They were the ones who were there every day 
making me a nine-time All-Star, a nine-time All-Defensive player, you know, all the Olympics, all the stuff, the accomplishments I made, all this stuff I made, they were right there when I did it. They did it for 13 years. And for me to go and do that and then don't give them a pleasure of seeing it themselves, that is just not right to me. And, and I don't think it's, it, 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 it's right at all, and I won't do that to them. Seattle fans are going to love hearing that. Gary, really quickly, two quick things. You talked about your dad with such respect, and he was tough on you and he pushed you. And now you got a son who plays ball, too, at a really high level. What's that like to watch your son? And are you as tough on him as Mr. Mean was on you? Well, yes, I do be, and he, he hates it. But he has to understand that. It's all about love, and it's all about how you perceive it. My father never gave me a compliment about anything. He, if I had 40 points, he'd think I could do more. But what it did was it encouraged me on the inside, and it motivated me to do more and to, to overshadow him and to, um, you know, to make him understand that I'm going to make you be quiet you know, because I'm going to do something better. If I had 40 this time, I'm going to have 50 the next. And that's what I try to install in my son. And I just want him to be the same way. He, just, he can be mad at me all he wants. But if he gets mad at me and then say, you know, I hate what my daddy is saying, let me show him what I'm trying to do and then go take it out on the next person, then I'm going to get happy. You know, and then I'm going to be happy inside. But I'm not going to show it on the outside because I'm going to keep making him understand and keep doing it, keep doing it. Don't just do it once. Do it every time. Make it a habit. And that's what it became to me, making it a habit to do the same things. And, yeah, I get on him. Yeah, I talk to him. I, I cuss him out on the phone. If you don't like it, too bad. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to keep doing it. Make it a habit. And, plus, you were coming from love like your dad was coming from love. You see, but you were relentless. So my last thought, I, I hate this stuff normally, this, this bullshit that you do on talk radio, like who's the GOAT, who's the GOAT. But, I mean, players change, generations change, the games change. But if you had to break this thing down, you went up against Mike, you came to the Lakers in 04, so you saw Kobe early on, and now you're watching Braun. I mean, Gary, leave us with this. Who's the GOAT? Is it Mike, is it Kobe, is it Braun, or is it somebody else? It's nobody. They're all great basketball players. They all played in different generations. I played against Michael Jordan so long that I've seen him do a lot. He won six championships. It's all about everybody's opinion, Jim. Everybody's a GOAT. You know, I'm a GOAT. I did the same things everybody did. We forgot Kareem. We forgot Magic. We forgot everybody. Everybody's going to give an opinion. LeBron is dominating his, his era right now. He's doing a lot of things, you know. But I don't put I can compare them together. Now, if they played against each other, um, all throughout their career, if 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 if, if uh, uh, Kobe played, every all three of them played with, against each other for 15, 16 years, and compare what they did with each other, then I can say it. But right now, they're all goats. They're all great basketball players. It's all about everybody's opinion. I don't think neither one of them was better than neither one of them because they all played in a different generation. Well, Gary, I'll say this. I'll tell you one who's not the GOAT, and I know this to be true because you said as much, Scotty. Scotty was not the GOAT. In fact, he wasn't even top 50. Leave us with that thought. You saw him at the end of his career in Portland, and you got into him pretty good one night. What did you tell him on the floor? Well, you know what? Me and Scotty is really, really tight, and Jim, and we always compete. We always compete. I always win at Scotty. I always used to go at him a lot. You know, but you know what? One thing, though, Jim, that Batman had to always have a Robin. And Michael Jordan had to have Scottie Pippen to become really, really good. And Scottie did what he was supposed to do and become that and be that Robin guy. He did the, the, the things that nobody understand 
with, with, with me and Sean. I was that guy that gets Sean to be better, and Sean got me better. That's what Michael and, and Scotty did. And Scotty was a guy where he did all intangibles. He did the defensive thing. He blocked shots. He made the buckets when he needed to do it. But every time I played against all of them, I talked crazy to all of them. And Scotty knew the same thing. I was going to talk crazy to him. And, you know, that's what it is. You know, some people got opinion, like I said, about everything. Everybody's got an opinion, and they put everybody in. But I'm always going to say, Scotty, to me, was the, the, the guy that made Michael Jordan go, go, go and give him an easier ride to what he did. Okay, Scotty was incredible. I don't want you to misinterpret this. Scotty was an amazing player. Scotty was so good on both ends of the floor. However, for you to hit him that night with stuff like, hey, hey, Scotty, where's Mike? Where's Mike? You're not even top 50. Dude, you're not, you hit him with your number 51, Scotty. You're not 50. You're 51, and Dominique is better than you. You know, every time I get on the floor, I say anything to anybody. And I was saying a lot of stuff, and Scotty was getting a lot really mad at me. I, you know, I do it to Shaq. I was doing it to everybody. I, anything come out of my mouth, it came out. And that's the way I wanted it to do. Let's let it all come out of my mouth. And Scotty got mad at me during that time. And I always tell him I'm sorry to this day that I was saying all that stuff to him. Gary, you've lost nothing, man, even at this. And I know you turned 50 recently. I've been there. It's that's a good day. It's a different day. It's a good day. But I got to tell you something, man. You have lost nothing. Podcasts were made for you, Gary. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I appreciate you so much. I'm so glad you did this. And that was fun, man. That was a lot of fun. It was so good thanks, to talk to you, Gary. Thanks, Jim. Anytime, man. You know, anytime you need me, just hit me. And this is great. It's always good to talk about everything. Building professionals, I know you're out there. Listen up. If you're a contractor or a builder or a remodeler, Lumber Liquidators Pro Plus is the only partner that you will need for all of your flooring needs. This is a -a one-of-a-kind program with special pro-only pricing and dedicated support. LL Pro Plus will help you get your flooring jobs done quickly and profitably. They are the perfect folks to team up with. Are you worried about selection and availability? Don't be. Lumber Liquidators has over 150 million square feet of flooring available with over 100,000 square feet in stock in most of their stores. And they even stock professional grade adhesives, underlayment, molding, tools, fasteners, grout. You can get what you need when you have to have it. And if you're too busy to pick up your flooring, they'll handle that too. The LL Pro Plus team will deliver it right to your job. And with LL Pro Plus, you can even get a business line of credit. So put the LL Pro Plus flooring experts on your team right now. Visit your local Lumber Liquidator store or lumberliquidators.com slash pro sales today. My man. He's got a thing or two on his mind, doesn't he? Thanks again to The Glove. That was an amazing conversation. What a legend. If you enjoyed that, I've got about 57 more just like it. Make sure that you're ripping through the back catalog of this thing because all of these conversations hold up. None of them are dated. They're evergreen. And they're all deep dives with some fascinating people. And make sure you never miss another episode. Simply press the subscribe button, sit back, and let these weekly installments find you. You do not need to find them. They will find you. That's how it works. You subscribe to the content. It's free. The content comes to you automatically. I appreciate you listening. I'll catch you next time. Now, here are some voicemails on the way out the door. First new message. Romy, Ryan in Oregon. Hey, man, this election day, we're hearing a lot about polls. Got me to thinking, maybe you could incorporate polls onto the show. You know, have Alvy come up with one, and you could cut to Alvy and be like, hey, Alvy, what do we got for a poll? Alvy would be like, who do you think's better, James Conner 
or Le'Veon Bell. Like, ooh, that's sharp, Alvy. Mm. Message deleted. Next message. I just wanted to wish you and your family a safe and happy journey to Wisconsin this weekend. And because it's so cold out there, I guess we won't be hearing you say, my balls were hot. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jim Rome, it's 12 Wood. Hey, on Friday night on the Woodscopes, we had Scotty Farrell. He wanted me to share a message with you, so here it is. Uh, just tell him I love him. I've always uh, supported him, and I, I uh, back everything he's doing. I think he's just a fantastic dude and human being, and he's a, a great radio host and TV star, and uh, I couldn't be happier for him, and I hope uh, all of his horses win lots of money, and uh, I'll always uh, be a friend and a fan. Message saved. Next message. I want to break weenies. My name's Draymond Green. Stephen Adams, LeBron, if you can't kick or punch, I'll just knee you right in your ding-dong. Message deleted. You have no more messages.